I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. Who do you think is more satisfied? Man with a million dollars or man with ten kids? How many think it's the man with a million dollars? How many think it's the man with ten kids? Y'all are just afraid to answer, aren't you? The one who's more satisfied is the guy. I'll tell you, it's an easy, easy, easy answer. The one who's more satisfied is the guy with ten kids. That's right. The man with a million dollars wants more. Now, am I right? Huh? Well, let me ask you another question. How satisfied are you with your spiritual life? How satisfied are you with your walk with Jesus Christ this morning? See, a lot of us are like the pastor who had an early meeting and he Got up a little late, so he was rushing, and he cut himself shaving. Had a hard time getting it to stop bleeding. And after he'd already dressed and put his clothes, you know, his shirt on, got blood on it, frustrated, so he had to take his tie off, take his shirt on, put a new shirt, retie the whole thing. No time for breakfast. Rushed out to the driveway and had a flat. You ever had a day like that? So he has to change the tire, and he gets dirt on his shirt again. Goes back in the house and changes it again. Now he's really raid and he's rushing across town, breaking the law and sees the blue lights. Pulls over, the cop walks up, he rolls down the window, looks at the cop as the cop pushes back his hat and smiles and the preacher just says, write the ticket. Cop smiles at him and said, rough day, huh? Preacher said, write the ticket. Cop smiled and said, really rough day, huh? You know, I used to have rough days like that. In fact, my life was falling apart. And then about a month ago, I met Jesus. And if you met Jesus, you wouldn't have these kind of days anymore. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> but I do know that an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, a, a growing relationship with Him that helps us keep our priorities right, and helps us make better decisions, makes for a, a better life. And the pastor drove away feeling kind of guilty. And some of you are not really satisfied with where you are in your walk with Jesus Christ. There was a time perhaps when you were closer, a time when you felt more energetic in your spiritual life, a time when you were more faithful, more consistent, and you're not necessarily excited about where you are spiritually right now. There are a lot of us in this room who need a, a fresh touch from God, if you will. We need God to do something new in our life this morning. And there was a time in the, the nation of Israel's history when they needed a fresh touch. They needed God to do a new thing. And the prophet Isaiah said something about it. So I invite you to open your Bible with me to the 43rd chapter of Isaiah. We're going to look primarily at chapters 42 and 43. But we'll start in chapter 43 this morning. Now, I want you to pay very careful attention to what the prophet says to them. We'll start by looking at uh, 
two verses, verses 18 and 19 in chapter 43. The prophet says, and it's really God speaking to them through the prophet. He says, do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. Look at the beginning of verse 19. He says, I will do something new. It will spring forth. And that Hebrew word translated spring forth is the picture of something that sprouts up quickly in a barren land. Sometimes in the desert, after a rain, fresh growth will appear quickly and It'll be a beautiful thing. And that's what God is saying to the people of Israel at this moment in history. He was wanting to do for them. And that's exactly what some in this room need God to do for you right now. You need God's rain to fall. You need a fresh touch, a new thing. You need new growth to spring up. You need new spiritual life, spiritual vitality, spiritual energy. Because right now, you don't have much. And I want to say to you on the authority of God's holy word that God wants to do a new thing in your life today. And the truth is, we need it. Now, the the situation for the people of God at the moment Isaiah is speaking is, is tough. He's looking to the future, the time that I talked about some months ago in the series from Jeremiah, when Jerusalem will be destroyed and the people will be carried away as slaves to Babylon and the nation would lie in ruins. And so a century before it happened, Isaiah is talking about it. And he makes it very clear in chapter 42, verse 22. He says, this people is a plundered and despoiled people. All of them are trapped in caves or hidden away in prisons. They have become a prey with none to deliver them and a spoil with none to say, give them back. He describes a bleak situation when things are just devastated. And that's not true only of their physical life. It was also true of their spiritual condition. They were, they were terribly backslidden. Also in chapter 42 in verse 24, look what he said. He said, who gave up for spoiled Jacob and Israel to plunder? Was it not the Lord? He's saying that everything that's going to happen to your nation is God's discipline to get your attention because of your sin. And so he continues in verse 24, if you'll look at it, by saying, Was it not the Lord against whom you have sinned, and in whose ways they were not willing to walk, and whose law they did not obey? He said, The thing that got you in this mess, the thing that got you where you are physically, spiritually, etc., was you didn't want to listen to God. You were not willing to walk in His way, to live the way God was guiding you, asking you, directing you, demanding you. You weren't willing to do that. You were not willing to obey His law. And and, and the truth is, sometimes God speaks to us and we become very conscious of this one thing that God's asking us to do, this one part of His Word that gives us direction in life. And all of a sudden, we we just do this. We still form the Word of God. We still form the way of God. We still form the will of God. And don't realize that there are spiritual consequences to that kind of choice. That the very moment we still form God, we begin the backward walk away. And if we continue stiff-arming God, our spiritual lethargy only increases. That staying close to the Lord 
Continuing to grow is dependent on obedience so that when God speaks to me, I've got a decision to make because I'm either going forward or I'm going backward. The one thing I'm not doing is standing still. An even more apt description of their spiritual condition is found in chapter 43. I want you to look at it in your Bible, please. Chapter 43, verses 22 and 23. He says, Yet you have not called on me, O Jacob. You have not, but you have become weary of me, O Israel. Rather than turning to God, he says, you, You've become tired of me. You've grown weary of me, God says to the people of Israel. Verse 23. You have not brought to me the sheep of your burnt offerings, nor have you honored me with your sacrifices. You're no longer willing to sacrifice. You're no longer willing to serve. You're weary of me. You're weary of worship. Verse 24 in chapter 43, you have, you have brought me not sweet, sweet cane with money, nor have you filled me with the fat of your sacrifices. Whereas they, they have gotten to a point where worship... Uh, and when you get to the place that you're not eager to worship Jesus Christ, it's easier to show up late all the time. It's easier to make excuses to not show up at all. It's easy to sit in the service and not participate. It's easy to complain and say this and say that. But when you're eager to worship Christ, it makes a difference in how you approach everything. That They've grown weary of sacrifice, weary of giving, weary of serving, weary of doing, weary of, of, of going that extra mile in obedience to the Lord. And that's where some of us are today. We're, we're, we're weary. We, think about that image. Weary of God. Tired of God, tired of the things of God, tired of worship, tired of service, tired of doing, tired of giving, tired of serving. The fatigue in all of those areas is evidence of a spiritual backsliding. Of not being where we need to be in our intimacy with Jesus Christ. Does any of that sound like you? What are your sins? Because your sin will be different than someone else's, but its effect will probably be similar. Sin drags us down spiritually. It's like you know, barnacles and other, those other crustaceans that uh, attach themselves to ships. Actually, they'll attach themselves to anything. A sea turtle, a, a whale, a, and the pier, and... If a boat is in the water long enough, they start attaching and pr- pretty quickly. And, it, and if they build up enough, they create drag and the ship goes slower and increases fuel costs. In fact, if you don't cling the ship, the hull of it, it can increase fuel costs by 50%. That's what sin does to us. It, it attaches itself to us. And if we leave it there, if we don't scrape it off, if we don't clean it off, if we don't get rid of it, it drags us. It, it creates dragging. We don't move as fast. We, we, it takes more energy and, and more effort to do what used to come a little bit more easily in our walk with Jesus Christ. Because sin just gradually pulls you down. It's like that, you know, the boa constrictor or a python that wraps himself around you. I, I read in the news the other day about a woman who had a, a pet snake. I forget which kind it was and... and 
She was letting it play where they're in the kitchen. Now, I don't get that anyway. I, I, reading the news report, it was like it was hugging her. And all of a sudden, she realized he was doing more than hugging. And she called 911, and when the police got there, they found her in the kitchen with blood. But it wasn't her blood, it was the snake's blood, because before she died, she managed to get a butcher knife and cut on that snake. He had crawled away and was in the bedroom dying. That's what sin does. It just gradually suffocates. And sometimes, just like the woman with that snake around her, she didn't know she was dying until it was too late. You don't realize that sin's doing what it's doing to you until perhaps you're a pretty good distance down that path. That's why listening to God from the very beginning is the smarter way to live, the happier way to live, because you, you, you avoid more of those episodes in life. But there's so much more to our sin. It's, it's not just what it does to us. You know, we get weary. And, and I know some of you don't want to say, you know, I'm weary of God. But brothers and sisters, spiritually, I know, listen, I've been a preacher a long time. I know there's people in this room. You Spiritually, you're, you're worn out. You just don't have it right now. But there's more to it than the effects that sin's having on your life. In verse 24, the last half of that verse, here's what God says to the people of Israel about their sin and their spiritual weariness. He said, the truth is, God says, you have burdened me with your sins you have wearied me with your iniquities think about that their their disobedience their unwillingness to listen to god to do what god was saying to follow him to obey him to serve him to worship him with passion god was growing tired of it did you hear that God was becoming weary of it. He said, you've burdened me with your sin. You've wearied me with your iniquities. Newspaper in Houston, Texas, told about a single mother who was at wit's end because she couldn't, she couldn't get her 14-year-old son to stop playing video games and go to bed. I know none of you have ever encountered anything like that, have you? She called 911. I'm telling you the truth. She called 911. Two police officers showed up at her house, and they were able to convince the 14-year-old to stop playing video games and go to bed. I, I can, you know, on some level understand the sense of powerlessness she felt. God never feels powerless because he never is powerless. But I wonder how often we act like that 14-year-old kid. I wonder how often we frustrate our Heavenly Father. How often we make Him weary by our, by our stubbornness, our unwillingness, by our lethargy, by, by our playing with sin, by our letting it hang around. In spite of all this, God loves us. He loved Israel. Look at what he says in chapter 43, verse 4. 
He says, in spite of all this, you are precious in my sight. You are honored, and I love you. Now think about those three statements. God says, you are precious to me. Do any of you have anything that you hold dear that you consider precious? I got up early this morning. I was in the kitchen studying, drinking coffee. And the first person to get up other than me was that little three-year-old grandson, Liam. And I heard him knocking on that door. And I thought, now, do I let him stay in there? He'll go back and lay back down. Do I, do I let him do that? I thought, nah, I want a hug. So I opened the door, and I got me a hug. Then I took him to Nana. <laughs> you have anything in your life that's precious? God says you're precious to him. This very God you're growing weary of. How many of you treated your parents badly at a moment in life only to live more years and understand (laughs) what you had done? Yeah, a lot of us, right? God says you're precious. But more than that, He says you are honored. You are honored. How? You're his child. You're his son. You're his daughter. What greater honor is there than to be the child of the King of kings and Lord of lords who created all that is and is the eternal one? What greater honor can there be than that? The New Testament teaches that at at the second coming, we're going to share in the glory of Jesus Christ. We're honored. And yet we don't want to do what he says. And then very lovingly, very tenderly, very tenderly, he ends by saying, I love you. Some of you don't hear those words often enough. Some of you are starved to hear someone say to you, I love you. Jesus says it to you every moment of every day if you'll simply listen. That last song, that hymn, Jesus paid it all. You spend money for people you love. I learned last night my wife had bought some decorations because Jack and them are going back to Italy in the Air Force the end of October. So we're going to put up a fall Christmas tree of some kind. I don't know. I haven't seen the stuff yet. So he can have it before he goes back. God says, I love you. And I'm willing to pay the ultimate price to show you how much I love you. But you don't want to sacrifice for me? You don't want to give to me? You you don't want to serve me? Even though I loved you with such an extravagant love? God loved them and He wanted to do something new in their life. Chapter 43, verse 14, He says, I'm I'm going to destroy Babylon, that very nation that will take you away as captives. I will destroy it and, and you will be set free. 
Now look at verses 16 and following in chapter 43. Thus says the Lord who makes a way through the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the mighty man. They will lie down together and not rise again. They have been quenched and extinguished like a wick. He's saying, hey, remember remember what happened at the Exodus? He just said, I'm going to destroy Babylon. And if you doubt whether or not I can do it, remember the Exodus when those soldiers from Egypt were chasing you and they all drowned in the, in the sea after God parted it and, and the waters came back and they, they drowned and they didn't come back because they weren't there to chase you anymore? I've done it before. Has God ever done anything incredible in your life in the past? Has there ever been a moment when God took care of you? Has there ever been a moment when God forgave you? Ever been a moment when you encountered the love of God? Ever been a moment when you were conscious of the presence of God in a way that was so exciting you couldn't contain it? But it's not that way now. God says, I'm going to do something new. I did it once. I'm going to do something new if you'll work with me. I'm going to bring you home. When he talks about making a way through the desert and all of that in the next few verses, they were in Babylon and separating Babylon and Judah was the desert. And God has said, I'm going to make a highway across that desert. He's symbolically saying to them, I'm going to make a a path for you to come home. I'm going to deliver you. But it's not going to be only a physical deliverance. It's going to be a spiritual renewal because you will praise me, he says at the end of that passage. Their hearts will be changed. God says, I want to do something new in your, your life. And he wants to do something new for us days. And so it just makes sense that we pay attention to what he's saying and then do what he tells us. To do, He had described them in chapter 42, verses 18 and following as being deaf and blind. God says, you, you got this way because you, you were blind. You wouldn't look at things the way I looked at them. You were deaf. You wouldn't hear me. You wouldn't listen to me. That, that's what got you in this situation. And so in chapter 42, verse 23, he asked the question, Who among you will give ear to this? Who will give heed and listen? Hereafter, who's going to listen? Who's going to pay attention? And and that's my question to all of us right now. Are you willing to listen? And not only listen, but are you willing to do what God says? Or do you want to continue as is? As is. Well, let me wrap this up and give you some things to do. So God can do that new work in your life. You ready? Four things. You may want to jot them down. Number one, stop living. Now listen. Listen carefully. Stop living in the glory. Stop living in the glory of your past experiences with God. Look in chapter 43. Verse 18, do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. While 
remembering the exodus could encourage them that God could do something new, living in the glory of that moment was not going to help them at all in their present circumstance. When I was pastoring in Sumter, a member of our church had parents. They were in their 70s who were not attending church, and I went by one day to visit them in their home. This would have been in, in the you know, mid-80s. And they told me their story. They had been extremely active in a, in a church called Salem Baptist Church that no longer exists in Sumter back in the 50s and 60s. And it had been a strong church running five, 600 people like a lot of neighborhood churches did back in the 40s and 50s and so on. Neighborhood had changed. The church had declined. They had relocated. It still exists today under a different name, much, much smaller church. And through all of that, they had quit going. And for about 15 years, they hadn't darkened the door of a church. I was in her home two hours that day, and I still remember it because he brought out bulletins and programs from 30 years earlier, 20 years earlier, 40 years earlier. He brought out all this stuff, and he talked about it with a smile and with enthusiasm, and he was, and, and he was, he, he, he was still living there. And here it was all these years later, and his walk with God was dead. dead disobedient unwilling to go to church listen you may have had a moment when god did an incredible thing in your life celebrate that praise god for it but that doesn't that doesn't count for today it was important it was part of your journey but where are you in your walk with god right now same thing's true for the church God is the one who created time as we know it. And God is the God of the past, but He's also the God of the present and He's the God of the future. And God is up to something today. The question is, will you, will I, will we be part of what God is doing in this moment in history? You need a fresh touch. I need a fresh touch. Can't, I can't live spiritually in the glories of what God did in the past. I need God to continue working in my life. I need to continue being submissive and obedient to the Lord. Here's the second thing. Face your sins so you can be forgiven. Chapter 43, verse 25, God says, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. How many of you saw the movie the, a few a couple years, three or four years ago, the, the Blind Side with Sandra Bullock and... You know, the Michael Orr story, the football player. Remember that movie? That's a good movie. True story. For those of you not familiar with it, he was a, a homeless African-American kid, big guy. And the Tuies were out driving and saw him walking on a cold, in the movie, a cold uh, November evening. It actually happened in the morning, but the movie changed it. But it was cold, and he was out there walking in shorts and T-shirt. That all is true. And they, uh, they adopted him. He became part of their family, and his life got turned around, and their life got changed as well. And went to play college football and scholarship and, you know, playing for the Ravens in the NFL and so on. And uh, it's, it's, it's an inspiring story. A couple of years ago, Sean Tui, the, the husband, was giving a speech at a fundraiser, and he, he told about that moment when they first met 
And it was a very cold November morning, and they were driving together, and they saw this big black kid in T-shirt and shorts walking. Had to be freezing. And they passed him. And Sean Tui in that speech said there were two words spoken that started not only Michael but their family on the journey that transformed all of them. And it was when his wife spoke out and said, turn around. Turn around. And Sean turned the vehicle around. And the rest is history, so to speak. You want things to be different? Turn around. You want your, you, you want your, your walk with Jesus to be different? Turn around. Keep going the direction you're going. You keep getting what you're getting. You need something new, something different? Turn around. Turn around. And if there's sin in your life, and usually when there's spiritual lethargy, it's because there is sin of some kind, sin of something we've done or not done. Say it or not say it. There's sin in your life like those barnacles. Scrape them off. You've got to turn around and come to God because there's no forgiveness without turning around and coming to God and saying, God, I repent of that sin. God, forgive me and cleanse me and change me. I turn from that sin and turn to you, Lord. Here's the third thing. Fulfill the calling that God has on your life to make a difference in this world. Fulfill the calling God has on your life to make a difference in this world. In chapter 42, verses 6 and following, God says to Israel that He's the Lord and He's called them. And in the middle of verse 6, He says, I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. God had given Israel the mission of taking His love and His light to the nations, and they had failed miserably at it. And let's just be honest. I loved hearing about you all knowing Christ because you invited them to church. Good story, good testimony. But folks, when there's spiritual lethargy, when we're disobeying God, we don't tend to talk to people about God because we're not close to Him. It's hard to go out and talk to people about Jesus when you're not walking with Him. I'll tell you something else, though. When you repent of your sin, if you'll start talking to people about Jesus, you'll start witnessing, you'll start inviting people. The more you talk about Jesus, the closer you're going to stay to Him. There's just something about opening our mouths and speaking to others about the love of Christ that keeps us fresh. And there's something about never doing that that causes us to become spiritually backslidden eventually. That's why I'm challenging you to come to the training next Sunday evening, September 8, and learn about hosting friends and relatives, neighbors in your home the first week of November in one of these My Hope events. The brochure is in your bulletin. Read it over, and then on the welcome card, sign up and come to the training next Sunday night. It'll make a difference. Then lastly, boldly declare your allegiance to Jesus. Look in chapter 44 at one verse. Verse 5, after this renewal happens in Israel, God says, here's what they will do. This one will say, I am the Lord's. 
That one will call on the name of Jacob, and another will write on his hand, belonging to the Lord, and I will name Israel's name with honor. Do you know what he's saying? When you're walking close to the Lord, you talk about Him. When you're walking close to the Lord, you're not ashamed of Him. Declare your allegiance. When I got saved as a teenager, the first person I called was my uncle in Detroit who had been witnessing to me all those years. And here's what he told me. He said, Steve, tomorrow, because I called him in the evening, he said, tomorrow, tell two people what you did. Tell two people about you committing your life to Jesus Christ. And he was exactly right. Because when you begin confessing, and doesn't the Bible say something about confessing with the mouth, confessing with the mouth, confessing with the mouth? When you start speaking about Christ, it does something in your heart, does something in your soul, does something in your life. And when you're silent, that also does something. An American soldier during the Second World War who had come from a prominent, wealthy family. A family that was not religious, not Christian, didn't go to church. While he was in the army during the war, gave his heart to Christ and he was saved. And he wasn't ashamed of it. He wasn't afraid for the other soldiers to know. He lived it. But when he was being discharged, he was worried. So he spoke to a pastor. What made him anxious was his family because they were powerful and they were rich and he knew he would feel somewhat intimidated and he was afraid of how they would react and he was afraid that all of that pressure and then the temptation of all the money and their social standing would cause him to not say anything because they didn't know about it. Only his buddies in the army knew. And now he's leaving that environment and going somewhere new. It's kind of like when you move from one city to another and you're really active in church and you're plugged in here, but now you move to Rock Hill, what are you going to do? It's like college kids, hey, you graduate high school and, man, you're in church and then you go off to Clemson, Carolina, wherever you go to college, and now you're in a new environment. What are you going to do? Because they don't know you in that new place. Or if they do, know, they, don't, they may not know you as that, that Christian And so the pastor said, well, here's what you do when you get home. First ten people you meet, tell them about you accepting Christ. He said, all right, I can do that. This is back in the 40s. He rode the train home. When he got off on the platform, he saw a young woman from his past. She ran up, hugged him, smiled, good to see you. How you doing? He said, the most exciting thing that could possibly happen to me happened. She said, you're engaged? He said, no, even better than that. I, I gave my life to Jesus. A few more words and she walked off. Next person he bumped into was a high school buddy. One he used to run around with. Man, glad you're home. We're going to have some great parties now. Welcome you back. He told his buddy, about giving his life to Jesus, a few pleasantries and walked off. One after another, one after another, one after another until he told ten people. That young man never looked back on Jesus. Kept going strong. See, there's something about getting it out there, branding yourself, saying this is who I am. And the reason some of you are so spiritually weak 
is you have these places in your life where people don't know who you really are. And that just doesn't work. It will bankrupt you spiritually. So let me go back to where I started. How satisfied are you with your walk with Jesus Christ? And what is God saying to you right now? Now listen, they were blind and deaf. If God is speaking to you, don't don't be either of those. Listen and obey. It is for your sake that he is talking. Let's stand. And as we sing this invitation song, pastors will be here at the front. You can come and pray with a pastor, talk with one. You can come and just kneel anywhere here along the front by these chairs, these steps, pray and talk to the Lord. Some of you need to join this church. But I'm convinced that today there are dozens of people, I mean literally dozens of people in this room who need to be on our knees at this altar saying, God, I'm one of those who spiritually backslidden. I'm one of those who's not satisfied with where I am in my walk with you. I'm one of those who's been blind and deaf and not listening. And today I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm I'm turning, God. I'm turning. I'm turning. And he'll forgive you. And then you know what he's asking you to do. So let's sing. And I'm inviting you to come and make that decision right now. Come on quickly.